Welcome to the Fin Global Podcast. I'm your host, Henry, and joining me today is a very special guest, finance expert and director working for a major asset management company, Ms. Pamela Coffey. Ms. Coffey, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today, Henry. Appreciate the invitation. To start our discussion, for audiences that may be unfamiliar with the concept of ESG investment, could you briefly explain what it is, its importance, and the long-term benefit taking this approach brings? Certainly. So I, I, I like to use uh, BlackRock's definition for ESG integration. Um, they define ESG integration as the practice of incorporating environmental, social, and governance, or ESG information into investment decisions to help enhance risk-adjusted returns. These efforts are done regardless of whether a strategy has a sustainability-focused mandate. Um, ESG data is, is most often categorized as non-accounting information because it captures components important for valuations that are not traditionally reported. So company valuation has become more complex with a growing portion tied up in intangible assets. ESG metrics provide insights into these intangibles such as brand value and reputation by measuring decisions taken by a company management that affect operational efficiency and future strategic directions. Um, ESG considerations that are material will vary by investment style, sector or industry, market trends and client objectives. ESG integration is about using research, data and insights to inform investments decisions. Um, sustainability issues, um, I'm kind of using the term sustainability and ESG interchangeably here, but um, sustainability issues can contribute to a company's long-term financial performance and incorporating these considerations into the investment research or portfolio construction, portfolio review processes can help enhance long-term risk-adjusted returns. In order to achieve these sustainable goals, how do common ESG criteria impact investment decisions in portfolio construction? So I would say incorporating ESG concerns into portfolio construction means that either the universe of investment candidates becomes more restricted or that additional constraints are placed on the portfolios. In practice, a portfolio manager we would use certain ESG criteria to filter out those investments that have poor ESG performance and or in theory pose higher levels of risks, including those associated with reputation, climate, human rights, things like that, etc. Some argue that these types of restrictions may hurt short-term portfolio uh, performance um, of the ESG portfolio in comparison to the non-ESG portfolios. But those who support ESG integration efforts argue that these practices can help enhance long-term risk-adjusted returns. Mm -hmm. So that brings up the question, has ESG entered the investment mainstream and is it starting to have a more ubiquitous influence? Uh, my, my response to that is absolutely. Um, ESG integration is part of mainstream global institutional investment decision-making processes. 
Um, I will say though, there, there is a lag in certain regions where regulations have not kept up with um, the investor's pace. The European Union, for example, is leading efforts to have ESG and sustainability investment considers, considerations uh, regulated. They've developed the EU taxonomy for sustainable activities, which is a classification system established to clarify which investments are environmentally sustainable in the context of the European Green Deal. The aim of the taxonomy is to prevent greenwashing and to help investors make quote unquote greener choices. Um, in the US, however, no such formal regulation presently exists. And I, I use the word keyword <laughs> presently. Um, as you have already likely heard, the Biden administration signed the US back onto the Paris Agreement, which the Paris Agreement is an international treaty on climate change adopted in, in the year 2015. It covers climate change mitigation, adaptation and finance. In addition, the Securities and Exchange Commission or the SEC announced recently that it has recognized that investor demand for climate and other ESG information is soaring and is responding with an all agency uh, approach. Some recent actions include uh, the request for comment on climate disclosure. So in light of demand for climate change information and questions about whether current disclosures adequately inform investors, public input is requested from investors registrants and other market participants on climate change disclosure. Another thing that the SEC has done is issue a statement on the review of climate related disclosure. The commission in 2010 provided guidance to public companies regarding existing disclosure requirements as they apply to climate change matters. As part of its enhanced focus in this area, the staff will review the extent to which public companies address the topics identified in the 2010 guidance, assess compliance with disclosure obligations under the federal securities laws, and engage with public companies on these issues, as well as absorb critical lessons on how the market is currently managing climate-related risks. The, uh, the last thing that I'll note, there, there's actually several um, more that the SEC has uh, announced, but this is the last one that I'll, I'll, I'll read out. Um, it's the SEC Division on Examinations announces the 2021 examination priorities. So on March 3rd, 2021, the SEC's Division of Examinations announced that its 2021 exam, examination priorities will include a greater focus on climate related risks. The division will also focus on conflicts of interest for brokers uh, which is called the regulation best interest and investment advisors um, fulfilling an, a fiduciary duty and also attendant risks relating to the fintech in its initi initiatives and examinations. On that same day, the SEC also announced the creation of a climate and ESG task force in the division of enforcement. Um, this task force will be led by Kelly Gibson, the acting deputy director of enforcement, who will oversee a division-wide effort with 22 members drawn from SEC's headquarters, regional offices, and enforcement specialized units. So in short, expect to hear more about ESG, particularly climate regulations in the U.S. in the near future. 
Also to round out my comments, I, I believe that the APAC countries, uh, Asian Pacific countries like Japan, Korea, China, et cetera, will roll out their own ESG related regulations in the near future. I will say though, not as much information has been published regarding the LATAM countries and if and or when they intend to implement such regulations. Mm -hmm. To your point, in regards to regulation, what policies do companies usually employ to ensure compliance with these ESG principles? Great question. So if, if regulations exist, that framework or taxonomy is applied as a first priority. In addition to, or in the absence of regulations, a company can choose to align to certain industry or global frameworks. Many of these types of frameworks and its standards exist today. To name a few, they include the Principles for Responsible Investment, or PRI, the Task Force on Climate-Related Disclosures, or TCFD, or the Value Reporting Foundation, which was previously five independent um, standards, um, global standards, including CDP, CDSB, GRI, IIRC and SASB, which is uh, the Sustainable Accounting Standards Board. So typically a company will align themselves to one or more of these frameworks and then incorporate the foundational principles of the frameworks into their own specific proprietary ESG investment policy. Many global companies, asset owners and asset managers alike, make these types of policies public on their website and you can just Google them. Um, you know, they're usually under some sort of sustainability or ESG integration dedicated section on their website. Similarly, what are the different aspects investors look for when determining a firm's social responsibility? So uh, to answer this question, I, I'm gonna point back to um, the SASB website or the Sustainable Accounting Standards uh, Board website. They have a, a materiality mapping um, website that's dedicated to identifying the material ESG risks specific to an industry that an investor should consider when looking at ESG in conjunction with their um, investment decision-making process. Um, as it pertains to the S or the social aspects of investing, they include the evaluations of risks and opportunities associated with human rights and community relations, customer privacy, data security, access and affordability, product and quality safety, customer welfare, selling practices and product labeling, labor practices, employee health and safety, and finally, employee engagement, diversity, and inclusion. The um, materiality mapping, uh, you can find this uh, at materiality.sasb.org. It gives a, a wealth of information about how to incorporate ESG into your investment decision-making processes and, and gives you further um, definitions about what these um, categories should include and what you should be looking at as an investor. So perhaps the most important aspect investors consider is monetary gain, essentially how much and how quickly they can increase their wealth. So how do ESG-oriented investors determine opportunity over cost in calculating return on investment? So great question again. Um, 
at present, I think these types of evaluations and calculations are, are a bit intangible. That said, I'd like to reference a white paper written by McKinsey called The Five Ways That ESG Creates Value. In it, McKinsey states that a strong ESG proposition links to, five create, uh, to value creation in five essential ways. And the five essential ways are number one, top line growth, number two, cost reductions, number three, regulatory and legal interventions, four, productivity uplift, and five, investment and asset optimization. In this article, um, or white paper, I should say, they, they offer that a strong ESG proposition, examples for each of these would include, so for top line growth, they say that you could achieve better access to resources through stronger community and government relations, as an example. Cost reductions could include lower energy consumption or, or the reduction of water intake. Regulatory and legal interventions, you could achieve greater strategic freedom through deregulation, or you can earn subsidies and or government support. Um, also supporting strong ESG uh, proposition in productivity, um, you could have a boost in employee motivation or attract talent through a greater social, through greater social credibility. And finally, the example that they offer for investment and asset optimization is that you could avoid investments that may not pay off because of longer term environmental issues, or you could en enhance uh, investment returns by better allocating capital for the long term. Um, as an example, more sustainable plant and or equipment. Um, some of the things that they say uh, are good examples uh, of a weak ESG proposition related to top line growth include that you could lose customers through poor sustainability practices or a perception of unsustainable or unsafe products. Cost reductions, um, a weak ESG proposition could say that you're, you're generating unnecessary waste and you could pay correspondingly higher waste disposal costs, just as an example. With respect to regulatory and legal interventions, you could suffer restrictions on advertising and point of sale or incur fines and penalties and enforcement actions. With respect to productivity, a poor example of ESG uh, is that you would have to deal with social stigma, which restricts a talent pool or lose talent as a result of a weak purpose. And finally, uh, a poor ESG um, strategy um, as it pertains to investment and asset optimization, you could suffer stranded assets as a result of premature write downs, or you could fall behind competitors that have invested to be less uh, quote unquote energy hungry. So much has been written about how strong ESG integration efforts within investment decision-making processes can add value. This, this particular McKenzie reference is, is just but one of many. Um, and I encourage you to, um, you know, take, take a read um, and Google the, the concept. Um, the, the, these types of evaluations have been done not only on, on equity side of the business, but also on fixed income. Yeah, so that's great advice. And, and digressing a little bit to our current situation, uh, throughout the current COVID-19 pandemic, has the general perception of sustainable investing been affected? 
So I, I thought about this a lot, and, and, I, and I don't think that COVID-19 has changed the perception of sustainable investing, except perhaps to better reinforce the fact that companies who score favorably from an ESG perspective tend to fare better or perhaps have the ability to sustain their businesses through tough economic and or pandemic cycles and events. I will say, though, that I, I think the push to regulate climate change related efforts was put on the back burner a bit, if you will, as a result of COVID-19. I, I believe that climate change regulation, not only in Europe, but also in the U.S., as well as in other regions, will emerge quickly, perhaps making up for some lost time in, in the year 2020 and early 2021. Um, in that case, what would then be some potential challenges posed to further expansion and implementation of sustainable investments in corporate strategy? So I, I thought of a, a few examples, um, one of which is lack of consistent global re regulation. So for global companies, it's really tough to put your finger on um, what each of, of the regions in which you're doing business, what's required of you from a, a regulatory perspective. Um, you know, the, the large global corporations obviously have teams of people who can evaluate this, but when you pull it all together from a strategy perspective, it, it's really tough when you have a divergence um, and, 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 and such polarizing differences as you do today. The EU is going very strong with respect to um, you know, encouraging regulation to um, enforce um, sustainable corporate strategy, whereas some of the other regions throughout the world are, are, are less consistent and perhaps less uh, structured. So I, I think that's, that's definitely a challenge is the lack of consistent global regulation. I think there's also a lack of established tools and resources. ESG is um, somewhat of a new, um, concept or theory such that um, as, a, as an investment manager, you are often tasked or in the past have been tasked with ensuring that the money that you invest on behalf of your clients achieves an op optimal financial return. So when, when you think about things in, the term, in terms of sustainability, Clearly, you still want to ensure that your client's portfolio achieves the, an optimal return. But in the case that you have a, a client who then also wants you to solve for um, perhaps a net zero carbon target or a sustainability related target, that adds to the complexity of how you manage the portfolio. And I feel as though the the same frameworks or standards that exist for um, measuring financial performance are not quite there when it pertains to sustainability. So I think it's a little more, um, uh, little less clear, I, I guess is the, is, the, is the best way to say how you achieve that and what tools and resources that you leverage in order to achieve that, that, that goal for a client as it pertains to sustainability over um, or in conjunction with financial return. And then uh, I think that there's a belief that in the future, the market will adjust such that sustainability considerations like the cost of carbon will be adequately priced and or factored into investment decision-making and, and risk analysis. 
So there's this theory out there that, you know, kind of let the market do its job. If, if there are risks and opportunities associated with any investment decision-making uh, processes, the market will eventually adjust and, and price in these risks and opportunities accordingly. Um, I, think, I think the naysayers um, <laughs> to, to this, this uh, theory would, would say, well, the market hasn't adequately adjusted to, to um, you know, factor in the cost of carbon as one example, um, and it's not doing it fast enough. So what do we do, uh, you know, in the near term? So there's these, you know, high level um, overarching currents that I think are um, perhaps deterring the speed at which, um, you know, sustainable um, investments in corporate strategy are, are being enforced. Uh, that said, though, I think there's plenty of um, um, undertones where, where investors are seeking sustainability outcomes, um, regardless of these challenges, and they're pushing, pushing forward. So um, I, I don't think these will be um, uh, a deterrent for long, but I do think they present um, current challenges in the investment decision-making processes. Yeah, and kind of uh, building off your point, in relation, how can we address these issues and make sure companies focus on materiality? So materiality is 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 somewhat of a uh, an ambiguous term, right? I, I know our lawyers um, where I work, uh, you know, it's it, it, it it's a, a term that that requires definition, um, and a definition could, could vary from company to company. Um, I think in in the context of investments. Materiality is something that needs to be defined by the investment analyst in relation to the evaluation of all the other risks and opportunities that present themselves in any investment-based decisions. I think that the evaluation of material of what is material um, comes with experience and can be you know, achieved through the use of a variety of tools and, and training. But I, I think it's um, not a well-defined term, nor does it have a, you know, an industry-defined, um, it isn't an, an industry-defined term. It's, it's somewhat ambiguous, but um, I, I do feel as though individual companies and their, their uh, respective investment analysts have an idea of what materiality looks like specific to their company and, and how they address these types of concerns. Agreed. Um, but from an ethical business management standpoint, similar to stakeholders capitalism, basically a system in which organizations are best served to acknowledge the interests of all its partners, what factors do companies look for when building an operating model that can sustain long-term value creation? Great question. Um, I Again, to, to respond, I'll refer back to SASB's materiality mapping. So there's several broad categories that are defined by SASB that encompass evaluating the G or governance aspects of investing. They include the evaluations of risks and opportunities associated with business ethics, competitor behavior, management of the legal and regulatory environment, critical incident risk management, as well as systemic risk management. Um, given you, you asked specifically about uh, ethical uh, business management standpoint, um, SASB 
when when you talk about business business ethics topic, examples of how to approach managing risks and opportunities surrounding ethical conduct of business. It would include examining um, incidences of fraud or corruption, bribery and facilitation payments, fiduciary responsibilities, and any other behavior that may have an ethical component. Um, this includes sensitivity to business norms and standards as they shift over time, jurisdiction, and culture. And in, in SASB's materiality mapping, I, I think I mentioned earlier that it, it's, it's industry specific. So when you're looking at a company, you need to look at them in the con context of how they uh, match up to their peers within a given industry. Um, certain things are more prevalent or more relevant to um, companies in a certain industry. And I think it's very important to evaluate these concerns across and among peer companies to see who the leaders are, who the laggards are, and that will help identify um, those critical risks and opportunities that perhaps, um, you know, an uh, investment analyst should hone in on and or ask further questions of the investee company um, to get further clarification and comfort about how to move forward um, with an investment decision um, if, if concerned about sort of this ethical business management um, concept. Uh, well, Ms. Coffey, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me to address some of the primary goals of ESG and its impact on the future of investments. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you, Henry. You've been listening to the Fin Global Podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every month. You can take the Fin Global Podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platforms. Look for links on our website and be sure to check out our weekly newsletters there as well.